welcome to the Forge Leadership Podcast. This week's guest is Patrick Regan, OBE. Patrick founded the youth work charity XLP that works in some of the most challenging communities in London and he's passionate about tackling poverty and injustice wherever he finds it. Simon Barrington caught up with him in Minehead where he was speaking at Spring Harvest. So today on the podcast I'm joined by Patrick Regan. Patrick, welcome. Thank you, it's good to be here. We're sat in Spring Harvest. We are, in the team lounge. (laughs) And you've been here all week? Yes, no, it's been great. What have you been doing here at Spring Harvest? Uh, So I've been doing this series called Honesty Over Silence, which is looking at issues around, um, I guess we don't really talk about in church, um, particularly we don't talk as a leader. So I've been talking about depression, anxiety, perfectionism, which I think is rife, um, and anger as well. So, um, and they've been packed out and it's been amazing response i've been really encouraged to see people desperate to talk about these issues yeah fantastic and how did you get involved in kind of trying to unpack those issues for leaders how did that issue kind of come come to the forefront of your mind i think for me like um about nine years ago now i went through one of those stages in my life where everything went wrong at once you know and like my daughter got sick my dad got cancer um, I got diagnosed with this degenerative knee condition, which means I need to get both my legs broken in a couple of places, and wow. and uh, and so um, I just started suffering from really severe anxiety. And I think, if I'm honest, I've always suffered from anxiety. But I think when trauma comes into your life, it's like rocket fuel, yeah. um, and suddenly things flare up. And it's a bit weird as a leader because you sort of feel like, oh man, I'm meant to trust in God, and, <laughs> and am I allowed to tell people? Yeah, and yeah. Does, does it mean I haven't yeah. got enough faith? And because yeah. and it was one of these things, and, and being fairly well known, everyone wanted to pray for me. Yeah. You know, okay. Every meeting I went to, every <laughs> festival, I'd have the guys come up to me and go, I've got you a one-on-one with the guy from Bethel, or this guy, or that guy. And I don't know, I started feeling sorry for the people praying okay. for me, you know, because yeah. I've been prayed for so many times. And uh, and I didn't get healed, and yeah. uh, you sort of live with that disappointment. And um, I went through with the operation, and the night I went uh, before I went into the hospital, I wrote this blog called "When Faith Gets Shaken," yeah. and uh, looking at my journey and some of the challenges around that. And it was just one of those weird things. It just got read by thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And then people started tweeting me and emailing me and Facebooking me, just telling me their stories. Yeah. And, and how, yeah. I guess, they felt like somehow, because they weren't healed or because they have a mental health challenge, that somehow they don't feel comfortable in church. And I think, what a tragedy. I mean, church is meant to be a loving community. And yet we're excluding people and people are feeling ashamed and embarrassed. And, and so I guess for me, doing the topics here is actually saying it's okay not to be okay. And let's take this out in the open and let's talk about it rather than brush it under the carpet and pretend it's not there. And as a leader, as you say, what were the internal kind of wrestles that you went through in kind of writing that blog and getting it all out in the open? Because that sounds very vulnerable yeah. to me and vulnerability and leadership don't two words yeah no it's true and I I felt like um, I I mean you may have heard of Brené Brown who's done the amazing work on courage and vulnerability and I was really inspired by her TED talk like millions of other people and her premise is that you know the um the Latin word for courage is core. It means to speak your mind with your heart. It means to show up and be seen. And that's the definition of courage. And somehow like in history and language, it's, it's become something else. And so this whole thing for me, that courage and vulnerability are the same thing. And, and that as we're more vulnerable and as we show courage, it liberates other people to do the same. It, it creates a safe place. Yeah. 
and and it is fascinating doing the when folk get shaken tour as we're going through the content you literally see people like shoving each other and totally engaged totally captivated and and just realizing that me too moment and and i think there's just something so beautiful about people who just share their common humanity you know it's interesting having spent a lot of time in hospital hospital's a real leverer you know it doesn't matter if i'm a leader it doesn't matter i've got an obe i've met the queen i've done all these things and i'm next to a guy and you know he could be a doctor or i could be next to another guy who's a lecturer and we're all there and, and actually we're sharing in something, a common experience. So I think it's really important that leaders are more vulnerable, more human um, in that sense. And, uh, and I think people can relate to that. And how do you help leaders to do that in your own organisation? Because I know for me, mm-hmm. yeah, as a leader, as a CEO, mm-hmm. I was the last person who wanted to go forward for prayer. Yeah. All, all the thoughts in my mind yeah, yeah, of course. people are going to be looking at yeah. me. I'm supposed to be leading this organisation. Yeah. People want direction from me. So how would you help leaders to kind of take the first step almost to, yeah. to crack through that barrier? I think it's about humility. I think um, it's interesting. I'm preaching on humility in the main arena yeah. on um, Wednesday night and uh, using the story of uh, the All Blacks rugby team. Okay. I, I, there's an amazing book called Legacy, which I can't recommend highly enough. And, yeah. and basically it looks at how did this team come to be the most successful sports team in history yeah. effectively yeah. from the smallest nation yeah. Yeah. and there's this wonderful little story in there where basically you know they're all leaders that, that team they're full of captains and people with experience yeah. Yeah. and after the match they all go in and they evaluate what's happened and then whilst the media are outside whilst the cameras and the uh, TV and uh, the journalists are all scrambling for an interview they all sit there and then they grab the brooms and they clean up the changing rooms wow. um, Every All Black does that. It's like, you cannot be an All Black. And then the fascinating thing is what they say in the book is the secret to the All Black success, says the manager, is that we pick on character and not talent. Um, We have tests where we can tell someone's a team player. We have tests where we can tell what they're going to be like under pressure. And I guess it's, humility is part of that sense, it's that part of that character thing, you know. And, uh, and so often, I think, sometimes when uh, as leaders, that we can just realise that, you know, we're all broken at the end of the day. And, uh, and it's as we share in our brokenness, that liberates other people. And, uh, you know, people always said to me that um, I've had the privilege of meeting some amazing leaders. I've met Archbishop Desmond Tutu, uh, Mary Robertson, the former president of Ireland. And they've told me about Nelson Mandela and they said that towards the end, he just had that ability, when people came in the room, whoever you are, they just, he just made you feel bigger. And it was almost like this iconic figure made you feel bigger. And just such a humble guy, yet was sort of known as one of the most famous leaders in the world. So what practical things have you done in your own leadership of XLP? I mean, most people will know you for the leadership of XLP. Yeah. What practical things have you done in that organisation to put into practice vulnerability, to put into practice humility? What does that look like on a day-to-day basis with the leaders around you? Yeah, I mean, I, I always try and um, make sure, I guess, I guess it's what you share, it's the lessons you share, it's the weakness you show, it's um, journeying with people. I've always tried to say sometimes, you know, the journey is as important as the destination. I think things are more caught than taught. Um, instead of lecturing people, yeah. you know, actually yeah. being there, working with. 
um, allowing other people's space to make mistakes. Again, in the church sometimes, I think we suffer from perfectionism, you know, we've got to be perfect. And I don't think God asks us to be perfect, but he, he does ask us to try our best. And, uh, and there's a big difference between that. Um, one is straining for approval, and one is just giving everything. And I just think, like, as a, as a leader, you, you need to embody it, you need to live it. Um, you know, I've got a young kid that I've been mentoring since the age of, he was 16, he was an absolute toe rag when I got him, you know, arrived from Nigeria, he got kicked out of his home, um, living and squatting in a hotel, um, his teacher said, you know, he'll be dead or in prison, and, and the interesting thing is, we invited him around our home quite a lot, and he didn't say much, he just watched, okay. he just watched yeah. how I was with my children. Yeah. He watched how I treated my wife. Because yeah. again, sometimes yeah. in certain yeah. gang culture stuff, you know, the, the girl is used for sex and all sorts of crazy stuff. Yeah. And he watched. And uh, and now he's the best youth worker on the planet. In fact, he's my son's godfather. Oh, really? And I got to marry I got to marry him <laughs> and his wife a couple of years ago. Um, and so I do think it's that. And you know, Steve Short used to say, "Vision and frustration are the same thing." And so, as a leader, you're going to grapple with both the whole time, and uh, and I think that perseverance um, shows shows an awful lot of character sometimes. And has your faith and scripture formed that in you? Has it formed the way that you lead? I think that um, Jesus always did things with people, and and you know I've often said in XLP we could do things to people, for people, or with people. And the whole ethos behind XLP and what I've tried to do is let's work with each other, let's work among each other, let's not just do things for people. It could be a bit patronising, you know, and sometimes, and the way we talk about the poor, and and actually it's got to be based on relationship. And, uh, and sometimes even with the best intentions in the world, you know, I mean, I, I was thinking the other day that I was hearing a story about Haiti, you know, when the earthquake happened, we sent so many blankets and so much material it's all well intentioned but we nearly put Haiti's clothing business out of business yeah. we nearly destroyed it yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because we're not thinking with yeah. um, and I think whenever you as a leader if you can think with yeah. how do I do this with and you know I heard um, uh, a preacher the other day which I thought was quite interesting he said you know Jesus spent 30 years with his community among his family and three years on the road so that's 30 years of being in community and being with people in that way totally grounded in one place so yeah it's a challenge it's a challenge to live out don't get me wrong I've probably got it wrong a million times over so <laughs> I'm no expert I mean, one of the challenges I found in doing community development was actually that sense of going and being with people involved us giving up power yeah oh totally so often yeah. with Samaritan's Purse it was we won't use the brand we won't yeah. use the logo yeah. no, I totally we'll agree. just give away power how, yeah. how have you sought to give away power, I suppose, in the next Yeah, I mean, the thing is, um, we started this mentoring program, um, well, it must have been about six, seven years ago now, and everyone was like, you've got to brand it, and you've got to control it, and, uh, and in the end, it literally was, let's train people to run their own mentoring program, but it's their program. Once they've been to us, it's theirs. It's St. Paul's Church mentoring program, or the Baptist mentoring program, it's there. It's the local church in the local community reaching the local kids. And I think, I think you're right, you know, um, the love of power has destroyed churches, has destroyed nations, has destroyed marriages, has destroyed people, where the power of love generated from our love for Christ can transform people, transform nations. And, and so I think that's the thing is, you know, seek first the kingdom, all these things will be added unto you, you know, unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. And, 
and I think sometimes it's you know what what are we trying to do you know are we advancing our own agenda um, is it you know I often say to <laughs> uh, my trustees um, and I might get in trouble now but I'm like you know what does success look like because um, success could look like just getting bigger and bigger and bigger yeah. but actually for me success is about transformational kids lives yeah. and yeah. they're broken they're messed yeah. up there's, there's yeah. stuff going on yeah. and I'm interested in that yeah. I'm not just interested in building a big organisation yeah. I mean we're all knackered right we're all tired yeah. um, we yeah. want to do the things that the fathers are doing yeah. and uh, uh, and so I think the way we focus on that and make sure that that, that is genuine and outrageously generous, um, I think, is where we need to be. And what are the rhythms in your own life that keep you sharp in that? Yeah. Listening to God and hearing God. Again, really been challenged recently. Um, I just read Brené Brown's new book, Brave in the Wilderness, yeah. and she does this brilliant thing around the word braving. B standing for boundaries, yeah. like what's okay and what's not okay, which I think is really interesting, integrity, you know, yeah. stuff. Um, R is um, reliability, yeah. um, A is accountability, yeah. um, making sure that you're in the right relationship, yeah. right connection. Um, v is vault, don't gossip, <laughs> don't slag other yeah. people off. Yeah. Someone tells you something, keep yeah. it to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I is integrity, what you live is what you say. Yeah. Um, and N is non-judgmental, which I think is massive. And G is um, generosity. And so braving, generosity, being outrageously generous and assuming the best of people, I think is really, really key. And uh, so I think all those things, I mean, you can, in scripture, they're all over the place, aren't they? All those things. And, uh, and that's where I guess I've tried. I've tried to live that way. And, and get it right sometimes and get it wrong other times but, but that's that's our heart now, now in my own life as a leader I had a year completely out where I was yeah. totally in isolation yeah sounds like you had a similar kind of experience both with your leg and going yeah. to hospital how did that impact your sense of identity and your sense of who you were yeah it's huge because laid aside yeah. for that amount of time I think as a leader you know um, I'm I'm at that typical visionary type, you know, I love, you know, vision is the art scene, the invisible, that produces yeah. passion, yeah. Yeah. everyone says they can't do it until someone comes along and does it anyway, I love all that, it's great, <laughs> it's brilliant, and, uh, but then when you're long-term sick, you suddenly go from this visionary guy, suddenly you can't plan the next day, in fact, I was in so much pain and on so many drugs, I couldn't even plan the next hour, really? and so that's, that's hard, that's hard to deal with, and and uh, and so it does change your identity in terms of who you are and uh, and and then i guess as a leader there's this pressure isn't there there's this pressure to get better quick and to get back in there and because what happens if everyone's you know what's going to happen to the money and what's going to happen to the staff and what's going <laughs> to this is going to go on and yeah. and those words which we all use you know i should i must i ought i should be better now i ought to be okay and i must get back um, I should, I must, or constantly go and loop on your head. And I guess that I had to realize that um, self-compassion and self-indulgence are two completely different things. I hated it when people talk about self-compassion. I thought, here they go again, all that rubbish <laughs> self-help nonsense. Um, there's no way I'm going to start and, uh, thinking about myself in this way. But I realized, actually, uh, people that exercise self-compassion are the most compassionate to others. And uh, that's that weird thing, isn't it? Put your own oxygen mask yeah. on first. It just yeah. feels wrong. Yeah. But actually, the reason they say that is you won't be able to help your children. Um, you won't be around to help your children. And so I guess during that phase of my life, I have learnt and am still learning. Because I think the temptation is you get healthy, then you go back a million miles an hour, you know. Yeah. 
um, to learn that self-compassion isn't the same as self-indulgence, it's not the same as being selfish, it's not the same as self-esteem, it's actually listening to that voice in your head that says, yeah, I am flawed, I am tired, I do need to look after myself. And realising that's not a bad thing. Yeah. And for driven people like you and I, yeah, it's oh, even harder. Isn't really it? hard. Oh, mate, it is so hard. And uh, you know, I, I can come here and I can preach all this stuff and speak all this stuff, and it makes sense on paper. But like putting it into practice, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's really hard. But it's really important. I think if we're gonna if we're gonna last the course, it's important. Now, um, you were up early this morning doing 17 BBC interviews, which means this podcast is a walk in the park okay, for you. Um, you were talking about crime in yeah. London and the current situation there. Tell us a little bit about that, that and what's on your heart and how churches are responding to Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, London's just taken over New York, apparently, as um, having a higher murder rate than New York for the first time ever, and that's why I think it's hit the headlines again. And and this sort of happens to me every six months or so. There's, sure. you know, it's like there's loads and loads of press and, and interviews. And, and I guess for me, I really feel... The church could have an amazing opportunity because, um, uh, you know, I've said I've said to the prime minister, um, the former prime minister David Cameron, you know, um, we're in every community across this country, yeah. smack bang in yeah. the community, and with all due respect to politicians and to some other leaders, we will be there when you're not elected, and we'll be there in five <laughs> or ten years' yeah. time, yeah. and in twenty years' yeah. time. Yeah. And I think the church, you know, the famous quote, we're, we're there to serve our non-members, and so we really are desperate to see people step up I guess as role models as mentors give two hours a week for 12 months to mental vulnerable young people on the verge of exclusion from school um, and where people have done that it's just been incredible there's been an incredible reaction and I guess the reason that I get involved in this sort of thing and media and a lot of been involved in a lot of policy work is I really believe that if all the decisions are made just from Westminster from people that have never not always been on these states don't know young people um, we're going to have the wrong policy and, and sometimes I'm out of my depth you know I've been in the House of Commons for meetings and they're using language I have not a clue and I'm googling it on my phone thinking what on earth did you just say and normally at the end of the meeting I sort of go I don't really get it but I'm going to tell you about a guy called um, David and he lives on a council estate and he's too scared to go home and uh, so he has a knife in his pocket and his uh, mum's working two jobs can't make ends meet so if you could tell me how your policy is going to help him I'm all ears and and I think that is what we need to be we need to be in that place where we're speaking up for those type of people and the work you did with XLP what kind of difference was it making to kids like David and what kind of difference is it making right now to kids like David Uh, I think I think that the whole thing is is around building relationships so our key thing was always let's try and create a sense of hope uh, identity you know, I always say people need three things, significance, um, self-worth and security. And XLP is all about creating that sense for them. And so we have literally seen, you know, kids go from um, being on the verge of exclusion to becoming head girl. We've seen kids um, become Christians. They're now on staff at XLP. Um, we've seen kids go. I had a lovely little story of a girl who I know who, um, again, brother died of meningitis, mum had mental health challenges, um, was really going nowhere. And we managed to mentor her, get her a job at Barclays. And, uh, and I remember um, I managed to get her to interview, uh, be interviewed by the CEO, who was Anthony Jenkins at the time, yeah, who's, yeah. A, who's, a, who's a, a, a friend of mine. And, 
and it was so funny he said you know what do you do and she was like well I work for you and, uh, and then, then he could have made it up he basically said um, well what do you want to do in the future and she just looked at him and went I want your job <laughs> and you sort of feel like wow but it's a journey you know and again I say to people for every success story there's 10 heartbreaking ones and people ask me to describe XLP I say it's a beautiful mess it's beautiful because I love the young people um, it's messy because people's lives are complex um, and uh, so yeah it's always you know Kay Warren says this that life is less mountains and valleys and more railway tracks yeah. um, good stuff bad stuff yeah. and always uh, and together. always together yeah. but if you stand on the railway track and you look down you'll notice that the tracks just because of the way your eyes are work will one day come to one and I think that's the thing you know I think I I'm firm of a theology that um, I don't believe at the end of time God's just going to kick this earth into touch and say, well, that, that was a waste of time. You know, I believe he wants to create a new heaven, a new earth, that he wants to restore relationships, restore people. And I guess if you come from theology like that, then what we do now matters. And it really matters. And, uh, and so we're part of God's restoration plan, his rescue plan um, for this place. Now, you've recently started a new charity. Yeah. Uh, what's it called and why is it called that name? Um, it's called Kintsuji Hope and it basically um, comes from a Japanese word called, obviously called Kintsuji. And the whole concept is when we break a pot, then basically we mend it with super glue um, where we're meant to or we chuck it away. Yeah, yeah. And basically the whole thing is um, we try and hide the cracks. We try and hide the fact that it's broken. And in Japan, what they do is they put a gold powder in the glue. Yeah. And so instead of hiding the cracks, I make a feature of the cracks. Yeah. And the whole concept is beauty comes from brokenness. And we don't hide our scars. In fact, scar is a place of healing. Um, I've got lots of scars because of all my operations. <laughs> it's a place of healing. And, and also the thing about it is every pot's unique. Um, before it was broken, it was all the same. And now actually everything is unique. And, and, uh, and so we're starting this charity to create safe and supportive spaces for those struggling with emotional mental health challenges. And we're doing a, a, a course similar to the AA course, Alcoholic yeah. Anonymous, yeah. Um, yeah. which starts from the confession that we're, I'm an alcoholic or I'm broken. Yeah. And we're training people to run this across the country yeah. uh, in their own context. So we're doing it in coffee shops, in schools, in prisons, in brothels, um, in women's refuge, in homeless shelters, running these incredible emotional mental health courses um, and the response has just been wow. a little bit like overwhelming to be honest um, <laughs> okay. it's okay. just been incredible non-christians are absolutely loving it um, because I think sometimes as the church we've rushed in yeah. got to tell you about Jesus and your sin yeah. uh, going in and telling everyone you know I'm really broken you're broken let's share in that and this is how faith and prayer has helped me yeah. that's a whole that could be a game changer yeah. for a lot of people yeah. and what's your hope for the charity over the next five years or so um, I just really hope that it's one of those things that can really equip and empower, empower churches and people to really deal with the whole issue of shame and, and ultimately know that you're made in the image of God and you're loved and transformed. You know, I feel like stepping out of shame is, is a massive for people and I think to do that you need to own your story. I think you need to, um, you know, shame can't stand being talked about. It likes, yeah. it likes yeah. silence, yeah. it likes secrecy, yeah. it likes judgment. Yeah. And actually to see people have the freedom to step out from that and realise that they're made in the image of a loving God is huge. And, uh, and so I think it could be a real new form of evangelism in some ways. Okay. We've seen people become Christians at the When Faith Gets Shaken stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't designed it that way yeah. particularly, yeah. wasn't even yeah. in our minds yeah. to be honest. Yeah. 
but I think it's the integrity and authenticity of it they just really respond and so we are really excited um, we're also doing some stuff um, in other countries we're looking at again I think in terms of development we're very good at sometimes food and tents um, so what we're actually doing is um, looking at trauma so in places yeah. war-torn countries yeah. Yeah. that we were talking about earlier um, there's a school in Trenchtown where 90% of the kids don't have dads, 70% of them have been abused because the child protection laws aren't enforced. So we're going to employ a mental health counsellor to be on staff at the school and to work with those kids. So so there's loads of things, yeah. Um, so we're, we're excited. It's scary. I mean, like, XLP 70 people. Yeah. I've given that up, and it's me and my wife now. So it's like, <laughs> it's it's tiny, but I think has the potential to be... excited and... Uh, oh, yeah, I, I honestly, it, yeah, it will be... It, it's going to be amazing, I think. Um, yeah. As you look back over your leadership journey, yeah. I mean, did you want to be a leader when you were a little, a little boy? It was weird, you know. I, um, I went on this mission when I was 16 and uh, to Kabul City underneath Waterloo Bridge and just had this amazing couple of weeks and uh, where God just broke my heart for the poor and the broken and the marginalised. And, and I came back to my church. I was all fired up. I was, um, and I went up to the pastor and I went, we've got to do this, we've got to get out there, we've got to make a difference and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, I totally agree with you, you do it. And I was like, I'm 16, you idiot. That's what I was thinking in my head, I'm 16. This was a church of like three or 400. And I'm thinking to myself, like, the guy's lost it or maybe he's just a bit past it, you know. And he said to me such a wise thing, he was like, I'm going to pray for you, I'm going to be there for you, but I want you to lead this project. And so at the age of 16, I started leading the evangelism in this, in this church and the team grew. And to be honest, we didn't know what we were doing. We were just like, where's people? Oh, people are in hospital. Let's go in the hospital and sing songs. Or people are in the town. Let's go and do some stuff in town. And we started a non-alcoholic cocktail bar. And, and then, um, yeah, and then things led to, one thing led to another. But I think it was down to that guy believing in me and trusting me and, and willing to be there when it went wrong and be there and almost take responsibility when I mucked up. Um, so yeah, that is definitely. Oh wow, it's amazing how much, as I interview leaders, the role of a significant mentor like that that was yeah. willing to take a risk yeah, at totally. age and release them is just Yeah, incredible. totally. And as we come to an end, what advice would you have for leaders who are young, who are seeing problems in the world, who want to get involved, who want to make a change, who dream of founding all the organizations hmm. like the ones you have? What would your biggest bit of advice be for them right now? If I was speaking back to my my 20 year old self, maybe I would um, make sure I'd look after myself a lot better. I think I burnt out quick. I never felt I was like the savior or anything. I, I see that in a lot of young leaders. They think sometimes that like, I'm the answer to the problems. I think it's really about, you know, God, God is there anyway. So we need to spot what he's doing and join in. And, uh, and that, that's really, really important to realize that we are not the hero in this situation. Particularly with young people sometimes, you need to swoop in, change all their lives, I'll do all this. And actually, you know, God's there, God's working. We need to see what he's doing and join in and get involved and, and that sort of thing. And, and I think the vision, vision is the key. You know, vision, what gets you up in bed in the mornings, it's what gives you energy at the end of the day. And it's the classic thing, isn't it, in that, in that book around successful people is the visionary, the leader, he climbs up the tree, he sees where you need to go. And then you get the managers who clear the path and, and work out how to do it. And I think that's it. Realize what you're good at and what you're not good at. Um, use team wisely um, and take people on a journey with you. Fantastic. 
Patrick Regan, thanks so much. No worries, pleasure. Today. And where can people find out about Kintsuji Hope? Um, if they want to find out about Kintsuji Hope, there's the website www.kintsuji hope. Um, Kintsuji is K I N T S U G I and uh, .com and kintsujihope.com there's loads of stuff on there really really interesting website um, all social media and all that sort of thing but yeah brilliant Patrick thank you no worries pleasure thanks for listening we love your feedback and questions just email us at hello at forge-leadership.com or visit us on the website at forge-leadership-podcast.com hello